if you don't have that shared belief, that shared identity, you are replaceable. Welcome to Tech Marketers Uncorked. Every episode, I share a glass of wine with a leader in the tech marketing field, bringing you the best B2B marketing strategies for you to make your own. Uncorking the bottle with me today is Marriott Ferreira, CMO at 11FS. 11FS offer innovative propositions for disruptors in the financial service industry. Marriott brings a wealth of experience across a full marketing mix. With her extensive knowledge in brand strategy and positioning and community building, she's a perfect person for me to be speaking to about this episode's topic, the power of creating communities in B2B spaces. But first, let's crack open a lovely South African red. So this is called Canon Corp, and it's the Canon Corp Cadeta Pinotage. Thank you for um, humoring me with South African wines. Yeah, this is looking good. I mean, that color looks like it's not going to disappoint, right? I know. It's a nice, deep, full-bodied red. This wine comes from Stellenbosch, which is just outside of Cape Town. Is that right? Just in the north? Yeah. So the, the main wine region is outside of Cape Town, but the Stellenbosch is a very famous wine town. It's got one of the best universities in the country is there as well. Yeah, I've heard of it. And yeah, it sounds beautiful. Well, cheers. Cheers. Thank you. What a great way to start. <laughs> oh, I love this. This is, I mean, when you look at that, you expect meaty, isn't it? And it doesn't disappoint. Yeah, it, it would pair really well with a nice meat dinner. Which again, very South African. It's not too heavy. There's definitely some spice in there as well. They actually invented the grape there, so it's a mix between different grapes. But So it's very South African. Wow, interesting. Well, what a cultural experience, yeah. Thanks for telling me more about it. Tell me a little bit about the story of 11FS. So I know 11FS from the fintech world, and you've massively gained an audience there, both with, like, your podcast, but also your events. You've built this really strong community. So tell me a bit more about that. Tell me about that journey of how you built the community. So 11FS has been going for seven years now. We just had our, our birthday party the other day. But I feel like community and brand and content has been super important for us from day one in financial services and fintech. It's about the people, it's about the community. So the podcast, I think, started on like day two of the business. So the team that to today runs off into Insider Podcast were some of the, the earliest employees because that was a way to connect with the whole fintech community, not just in the UK, but globally, because there was sort of a real movement and vibe around people wanting to drive change, and especially after the last financial crash you know, do things differently and really solve, truly solve customer problems. And, you know, 11FS was really at the heart of that because even though, you know, we're a B2B consultancy, which a lot of people don't actually realize or even think of us as B2B because we act like a B2C. So through our content, through our community, you know, that's just helped us grow 11FS from the very beginning. So now we have 100,000 downloads of our podcast every week. And it's become such a central way for us to really connect globally with everyone driving change. Yeah. And what about, you know, right at the very beginning when was it building from the ground up? Was there any community there to begin with? And 
How did they start it? Sort of 2007, 2008, after that, there was a lot of sort of energy, again, particularly in London, of people wanting to to come together, do interesting things, drive change. So I suppose there was sort of a uh, an informal community, if you will, what 11FS just did really well in the early days is give people a way to express that, to come together, to have a platform, to have, you know, events or to share and to grow and to learn. Yeah. And what signs do you think there are that there's already like a movement or momentum? You know, you're saying identifying that there was this need. How, if you were to do it, what kind of signs would you look for that that, that, that existed and that that should be harnessed? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I suppose, you know, now with the benefit of social, it's just being really tapped into people in your industry, you know, people that you're trying to connect with and see what sort of conversations they're having, not just on social, but what sort of questions people are asking, actually just having you know, old school face-to-face conversations. What what outlet do people have to come together? Because that, I suppose ultimately that's the function of community, right, is for people to connect. So if you see people are trying to have conversations asking questions and either they're not getting answers or there's no sort of traction around that conversation, that's probably early signs of an opportunity to bring people together. So say you're at the beginning of this community building journey. As a marketer, you know, where would you start? What actions would you take? Would it be about events? Would it be podcast? I know 11FS at the moment does so much content, does so many really awesome events. But if you had to start, where is it that you would start? So I think one of the most important things for us and for anyone looking to build a community is to have that sort of shared identity or shared belief. The quickest way for a community to die is if there's no sort of shared identity, if there's no sort of shared mission or shared belief, which makes it sound a little bit sort of cultish. But what is it that's bringing all of us together? So, you know, for 11FS, we talk a lot around sort of changing the fabric of financial services, which is sort of our mission statement, if you will. But it really, you know, that allows us to bring people together around. We're all trying to really drive change here, uh, a shared intent. And that has to go beyond because we're all on LinkedIn, because we're all on Twitter, because we're all on Slack. There's a guy called David Spinks. I don't know if you've read much of his stuff. He's very active on Twitter, runs a sort of platform called CMX. I definitely encourage anyone, you know, in community or building communities to have a look at his, his material because there's a lot of sort of practical advice, but then equally sort of step by step how to go about it. And he talks a lot about that sort of identity, creating a, a reason for them to participate and then giving them reward. So your first three steps is what's your shared belief? What value are you giving to them? And what reason are you giving them to participate? And that, that could be as simple as an invite, what's the trigger? But, you know, that sort of is your your starting point. Yeah. And, I mean, how long did it take for you to start seeing the momentum? So, you know, as all marketers know, sometimes we have to put in the work first before we start to see the results, or not just sometimes, all the time. We have to put in the work to see the results. And, you know, especially with organic marketing, it can take six, eight months, sometimes even longer to start seeing ROI on it. And a lot of founders get really impatient with that. You know, they're saying, we're, we're investing this money, we're not seeing the results. So how long from when you started to build the community to when you started to see it really pay dividends? 
So that's interesting because I, you know, in in one way I'd say it took years and the other hand I'd say immediately because it really depends on how you're measuring success. We had people on the podcast which we wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach or talk to or connect with. So, you know, immediately there was a platform for them to have really interesting conversations. And then the success measure is relationships and um, connection. So, immediate return. Was there immediate financial return? No, that takes time. Again, one of the most important lessons, not not just for community, but for any sort of content and building that momentum. You won't necessarily see that immediate return, but I think you have to be very careful with how you measure success in the early days to longer term and not try and use long-term metrics up front because then it will look like a failure. And I suppose that's hard if you're maybe new to a team or not in a senior role to manage expectations of a CEO or of a founder and go, no, you know, there's no revenue here, but you've just you've just connected with someone that you wouldn't otherwise have been able to um, and to manage their expectations to see that return. Yeah, it is really difficult because quite often, you know, especially C-suite will want to see financial return and is every penny we're spending mm-hmm. contributing to ROI. But when you're doing something that involves organic marketing, it can take time to start to see those results. So how would you suggest that people measure results? Um, so again, like I say, sort of your your early metrics, whether it's relationships or whether it's engagement, will look different to performance type metrics. So what we do, for example, with our content, we talk about audience value and business value. So the like the podcast and you know our events, we make sure that we give value first. And so therefore we measure the success of those efforts by media metrics. So downloads, listens, views. So if you pretend you're running a media company, what would a you know, head of production be looking at to see if his TV show is performing. He's looking at, you know, how many people are, are, are watching this. Because if your content's not any good, then your your viewers, your listeners will tell you, right? Uh, they tell you by not engaging. That's how you create, you know, valuable content, valuable insights for your community to bring people together. And then we measure business value through, I suppose, more traditional KPIs of, MQLs, SQLs, revenue, et cetera. They complement each other. You know, I don't try and measure the podcast by MQLs because that's the quickest way for me to start making crap content because then I'm trying to force conversations or, or content that's not right, That's you know, the, that the audience doesn't get value from because I'm trying to hit the wrong metrics. That would be my biggest advice is make sure that you're using the right metrics to measure your community or content efforts. Yeah, great. Well, so we've started to build the community and we're starting to see results come through. I mean, how do you continue that momentum? Because I feel like with, with a lot of content and with a lot of marketing, it's easy to like launch things and have them going for six months, a year. Okay, everything's going great. And then, you know, it starts to quite often starts to plateau and, you know, you're not getting continuing to see the same results, but you're continuing to, you know, hold steady. And at that point, a lot of marketers and a lot of founders and a lot of C-suite say, let's let's shift it up. Let's do something totally different. So how do you maintain that momentum and stay focused on the long-term goal? 
So I think that's where planning up front becomes really important because particularly if you're going to put all your effort into building community in the first place, you have to have a longer term plan. And part of that plan needs to be how do you sustain your efforts, but also how do you manage through maybe challenges of when it goes quiet or you know when, when your engagement drops. You give them value, you give them reward, you make sure they participate. And then organically, you know, sort of friend get friend, you ask them to bring people into the community because then there's an element of credibility of your people being associated to your founding members, to you, to people that are bringing value. Because your ultimate, your end game is for the community to exist without you being in the room, right? You know, people need to get value from interacting with each other. So you'll get to a point where, you know, you might have to reassess whether you're engaging in the right way or your platform is still correct or you need to, you know, introduce a different forum. But I, I see that as a natural part of the process rather than something that you need to panic about. If I think about 11FS, you know, we, you know, we just give ourselves permission to, to constantly experiment. So everyone went through the, the clubhouse hype, Twitter testing communities, we test that. Things like Discord we've played around with because, you know, we try and get a sense of what's the best way for people to engage in different ways. If you hit that lull and it's six months in, and I see that more as a as a natural part of how your community is going to develop because it's not all going to be super exciting and really buzzy. You just have to keep experimenting and find different ways to bring people together. Yeah, I think that experimenting is really key and not being afraid to fail as well. That's the key to an experiment. Not all experiments are going to go well. Some are going to go not so well. 100%. I'll tell you now, we, you know, we experimented with Twitter communities. It didn't work. It wasn't ready. It was too early. Traction wasn't there. and We're just going to put a pin in this. But because we are transparent and we learn in public, that's okay. You know, we, we move on and we try the next thing. But at the core, we have our 100 true fans and you engage with them in different ways and then just making sure that we keep adding value. And that almost means it's platform neutral. Well, it sounds like you guys are really comfortable with experimenting and that's a really healthy mindset to be in. What would you say to a marketer, you know, a CMO who is struggling with that, who's maybe not in an organization where experimentation is as widely accepted in, you know, an organization where perfection's expected uh, rather than experimentation? What would you, what would you say to them? I mean, I think anyone that's a sort of at CMO level probably has come across this before, so you know, they'll be pretty familiar with test and learn with experimentation, with hypotheses, but you almost need to build that into your budget um, up front. Uh, that's the the biggest piece of advice I got early days is, you know, almost budget for it. Don't uh, leave it to chance. And then, you know, once the budget's locked in, you try and convince people that, oh, we should now spend this money to go and test stuff. You know, from day one, whether it's I don't know, 5% of your budget, 10% of your budget, give yourself experimentation money. And, you know, that might take some stakeholder management, that might take some convincing to your board or to your exec, uh, whatever the case might be. But I think if it's if it's baked into your plan up front, then you just have more 
breathing space during the year rather than retrospectively trying to justify it. Yeah, it's nice to have an experimentation budget that, you know, it doesn't really matter if it goes right or wrong, but you take learnings from that and then you can take those learnings and shape your strategy. But I think that sounds like a luxury, but, I, you know, I'd argue that that it couldn't be more important because that's the way that you expand and learn and grow and, and, and test new routes, test new platforms um, so that you stay competitive. I almost feel like that's essential. It's not, it's not a luxury. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're working in the tech space and want to be seen as cutting edge, how are you going to be cutting edge if you aren't allowed to experiment and learn? And, you know, most tech companies have R&D departments. They have, they give time and space for other departments to test and learn, to try new things, to experiment and innovate. Um, so, you know, it's not it's not really fair to not give it to marketing either. <laughs> I mean, 100%, but I, you know, I'd say again, it's, I, I see that as an essential because if I just think about some of our more sort of traditional performance efforts, you know, we uh, give ourselves a, an experimentation. It's, I mean, it's small, we, but we give ourselves some experimentation budget and we go and try some stuff on Quora and Product Hunt and, you know, we just explore new audiences because um, otherwise, how, how else would you grow? Yeah. And where do you find that most of your new ideas come from? Do you have any great sources of inspiration? Um, I do, but it's my team. <laughs> it's not a sort of secret source. It's a culture that I've, we've nurtured in the team of just being very focused on creativity. So what we have uh, every three weeks, we have a session in the team. Friday morning, we get together and we just give ourselves permission to come with random ideas. It's all our, our flat white session. Again, uh, there's a story. It's very random. But every three weeks, we have 45 minutes Friday morning, and everyone brings things that they've seen, that they've read, that they've listened to, and they go, we should try this, we should try that. And it's it's one of the sessions my team enjoys the most. Everything goes. We make a list, we vote, and then we decide what we're actually going to go and taste off the back of that. But I think if, by nurturing that and giving people permission to just bring that to the table and then them seeing that actually, okay, this is not just me coming with ideas and nothing happens, it nurtures that spirit of I'm going to bring more ideas. So it's now we have more ideas than we can cope with. I think anyone with a team, it doesn't matter what the structure, if you give people permission to be creative and show them that actually has an impact, you'll get a lot from it. Have there been any like dark horses, like things that you didn't think were going to work that that did work? Um, have there been any surprises like that? <laughs> uh, we have tested all or played around with all things weird and wild. Last year, we made a podcast episode in the metaverse, and it's one of those where my team pitched like, "Oh, that's what we should." That's what the at the hype of the metaverse, uh, everyone was trying to do stuff in the metaverse, and I just thought, you know what? Fine, let's try it. And we just got so much social traction from it. But it wasn't just sort of a branding play. It was us learning in public. So again, coming back to that, us giving value to our community, that's sort of showing, yeah, this thing, like, it's not quite there yet. <laughs> this is what it really looks like. It's, you know, it's glitchy and it's messy. And but so it's there's that learning in public element, but then also just 
it was just fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this idea of learning in public is is really important as well because it, it makes you vulnerable in a way because it's saying, you know, not everything that we do is is perfect, but we're here to learn and, you know, be part of that journey. And I think bringing your audience, your community along in that journey and, you know, kind of paving the way for them is is really important. But what that does is it also builds trust at the heart of sort of any brand, any community that you're building, uh, especially in financial services, is trust, right? So that's why with, you know, a lot of big banks and big brands, there's so much investment in in trust. And, you know, they're so careful with how they portray themselves and their tone of voice because they want to be taken seriously. So if you look at how traditionally financial services would build that trust is, you know, they'll put a lot of emphasis in through their messaging and through their actions in we're big, we're solid, we've been around for ages. So they talk about their FCA accreditation. They talk about, you know, their number of clients. They talk about, you know, the fact that they're global. So there's all these sort of big stability messages. You know, they'll maybe show credibility from partners. There's sort of trust messages rooted in the fact that we're stable and we're big and we're solid. And I think especially in fintech financial services, what we've seen over the past sort of five years is that how they build trust is, has changed quite significantly, or at least how they bring that to life. So to your point around this sort of transparency and learning in public, transparency is how you build trust, showing that you know, what you've learned, what you've done, how you're dealing with the situation, things went wrong, but this is how we're going to cope with it. It is how you build trust from your your customers, your clients, your community, showing that you are relatable, that you have that sort of shared belief, shared intent. You know, we're here to make credit more accessible, give everyone access to banking facilities. So, you know, you'll see a lot of the messaging now on fintech around bringing people along for the journey, being transparent. Yeah. And trust is a really, really interesting thing. And especially when it comes to community, because it's so important, you know, having trust is fundamental to all relationships. And that's really what marketing's about at the end of the day. But, you know, what advice would you have for so there are a lot of brands out there who are building trust from the ground up because they're new to the market. They maybe don't have any brand awareness. But there's also a lot of companies out there who have maybe lost trust, especially in the financial service sector, you know, with the 2008 crash and with a number of like the challenges that we're seeing now, like Silicon Valley Bank. So, I mean, it goes both sides. So what would you say to a CMO of a brand who was trying to either build trust from, you know, the ground up with no track record or was trying to overcome a negative situation that caused them to lose trust? Well, I suppose the one the number one rule in PR, right, which we all learn from day one is just how important the importance of speed and responsiveness. Uh, so to your point on, you know, if, if anything's gone wrong, that's an age-old tactic that, you know, that's not new, but I couldn't emphasize the importance of being responsive, being open, being just acting quickly enough. But but that sort of responsiveness hand in hand with being transparent and relatable it is what helps you rebuild that trust rather than just, you know, very quickly answering questions or addressing an issue and then going back to your old ways. It's taking them on the journey and showing 
this is what we're putting in place to ensure this doesn't happen again or what we're doing going forward to give value to our clients, give value to our communities, etc. So that's sort of one, the responsiveness, the speed, also the transparency and the authenticity. But then anyone that's building a brand from the start, I think that being relatable in that you are showing your client base, your community, that you're you're taking this, them on this journey with you and you're building towards something that uh, they will ultimately benefit from and that it's real people, it's real founders behind this goes a long way. Yeah, yeah, I think that authenticity and, you know, being being forward-facing is really important. I mean, this is where, like, personal branding comes in. So, you know, having founders who are, you know, front runners who, you know, are out there and sharing that journey um, is, is a really nice way to do that. And, you know, what about going forward? Like, what's the big picture for for you at 11FS, but also for, like, building community? What's, like, the end goal in building community? Is um, there an end goal? Yes and no. No in that there's no sort of point of success for us, like, oh, we have a million community members, now we're done. Um, because we measure it through how much value are we giving, it feels like that that will be never-ending. You know, there's never a point where we're done. What I'm really excited about right now is just how the fintech and financial services, people are globally coming together um, and connecting globally. And, and, you know, this is not new, you know, it's been happening for you know, a number of years, but around issues such as open banking and, and crypto, where it's sort of borderless, you know, these things are not specific to one market or to one country. You know, there's just global conversations happening. And, and I'm just really excited by that because, you know, I'm learning every day as much as we're trying to educate and help people understand. And I feel like, you know, there's there's no end to that. So, no, I mean, for us, there's no ultimate KPI that we're going to hit, but really trying to double down on globally bringing people together. Yeah. And I mean, what do you think is coming down the pike for community? So obviously global and, you know, we're seeing especially in the fintech community, we're seeing Asia start to take a more more of a center stage. So I know Money 2020 is going to be launching in Asia next year in 2024, which is super exciting. But, you know, what what other trends, you know, what do you see coming down the pike in terms of community? But using your point on, on Money 2020, just seeing how that gives the, the fintech scene players um, out in Southeast Asia, et cetera, more of a platform because I feel like there is still a bit of a lack of understanding, lack of knowledge of like some of the amazing tech that's coming out of that region uh, and problems that have already been solved that we're still trying to solve over here. So I, I'm excited by uh, there being more of a, a voice and a platform for founders and builders in that region for everyone to learn from. You know, same thing with, uh, again, my my um, South African skew there. I'm, I'm very excited about a lot of the tech coming out of Kenya, Nigeria, even South Africa. Um, you know, they are solving problems with, uh, they solved problems 10 years ago, which, you know, some regions in, in Europe are still trying to solve now. So I feel like there's only, it's only a good thing that we have more dialogue and these things are just 
being talked about more and these solutions are being shared more. Um, and I think community can play a real role in that to just, you know, bringing people together to share more. Yeah. Thank you. And I think probably my last question for today is, you know, if you had to give a marketer at the very beginning of this journey who's about to build a community and do all the amazing things that you guys have done, what's the one piece of advice that you would give them? If you don't have that shared belief, that shared identity, you are replaceable. Community is not a competition because, you know, there's value in collaboration there. If you're going to be putting the effort in, then make sure that you have that mission that brings people together. Because otherwise, again, you know, if your platform, whether it's LinkedIn or Discord or Twitter or Slack, if that platform changes, you have no control over that. And and that's why we have the benefits of being able to be platform neutral, because we have that shared belief and shared identity. So we're not tied to a Discord group or, or a Slack group. That has to be your starting point. Yeah, I think that's really important because you want to create a movement. You want to create something that's going to last longer than a Discord platform or any any sort of technology. You want to create something that's really going to have a lasting impression. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much to Mariette for joining me on Tech Marketers Uncorked. You can find out more about Mariette on LinkedIn. Hopefully you've picked up some marketing strategies you can take away. And if you're tempted by a bottle of our favorite red, there's a link in the show notes. I'm your host, Catherine Strachan, CEO of Coffeehouse, an award-winning B2B content marketing agency for fast-growing fintech and technology brands. If you're looking for a place to pick up the best marketing insights in 2023, our specialist at Coffeehouse got you covered. Find us at coffeehouse.io. The link's in the show notes. Tech Marketers Uncorked is produced by Fascinate Productions. See you next time.